Welcome everyone to Potholes and Politics, local main issues from A to Z. This week, I'm your host, Rebecca Graham, and we have a special guest co-host, Associate Air Traffic Controller of the Advocacy and Communications team, Laura Ellis. Our regular co-host, Rebecca Lambert, is sitting in public hearings at the moment, so she's not going to be able to join us this week, but she did have something very interesting to drop in. Rebecca, take it away. Hey, do you see that email Laura just sent? Our podcast has a thousand downloads. Woo! Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. We definitely need to mention that. This yeah. Week. Here's a huge shout out to all of the folks who have listened to the podcast so far, and thanks for sticking with us. Don't forget to share us with all of your friends. We are eternally grateful. Where are you, girl? There you are. (laughs) I showered. You're one ahead of me. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) We got another legislative bulletin in the bag today. This was a wicked long week. It seems like they're all been long weeks, though, lately. Yeah, tis the season. So a couple of the hearings that Becky and I sat through last week were in state and local government. And it's kind of the second committee that I've sat in that they've done the confirmations and ahead of the of the public hearings. And I just continue to be floored about demonstrative partisanship that's happening on those commission hearings. That's odd. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but in my mind, you know, the governor gets the recommendations and has vetted them. I know some of them have to be bipartisan by statute, like the ones that we heard before SLG yesterday, which means they have to have representation from all those parties. But I don't understand why certain obvious members of opposite political persuasions were grilling those commission members who might not come from that same political persuasion. And I'm I'm wondering to what end. I think most of us, including some of the folks that had to sit through that, that were up for those commissions, felt like that was an incredible waste of time for nominations that they're going to do anyway. It's like volunteers, which are extremely hard to come by. Absolutely. Our own Ryan Pelletier was up for that commission, wasn't he? He was, yes. And his went through quickly. But to what end a lot of the other questions were of those individuals. And it's not necessarily questioning. I think that's, that's the problem. I think that those are needed positions and I, and I feel like it was just unequally applied. And that sends a message that I think is a problem for even in our communities to feel like they're not, they don't have appropriate representation, even from their elected officials, because even if they're not, if they don't share the same politics, they're all affected by the same policy. So there's validity in those voices. I think the problem is that we're all like public policy folks at MMA. So we're looking for functionality, not the flavor. We're looking for functional policy that supports the municipal work. That doesn't bode well for, you know, making policy for the rest of the session to get through these public hearings and work sessions. I'm hoping that the uh, partisanship is tamped down a bit. Yeah, when I started, it was the one thing that I really liked about that committee process is that despite what genuflections happened on the floor, when folks got in the committee room, there was a general acceptance that that's where the rubber meets the road. And we need to be passing legislation out that is functional and deliverable and enforceable for the 
folks that have to do that and correcting a lot of the problems that are initially presented. But I think that's harder and harder to do when we set off that animosity. And and the problem is we know it vacillates just back and forth. It becomes the same thing. That's so disheartening. It's a shame. But we did get to hear some of the bills that we covered in the bulletin. So let's go over that a little bit. What do you, we did our editing this morning. So what jumped out to you about those bulletin articles? Uh, what jumped out most was uh, the newspaper notice article. Yeah, that, that public hearing was a little ironic. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the folks from the newspaper industry also submitted testimony online. I mean, this bill has come up session after session after session. I know. And it's so clear that those notices are are cash cows and probably the only thing that's keeping some of those larger entities afloat. When I heard about some of the costs that municipalities were paying who didn't have the amazing like local newspapers like we have down here that only come out weekly. But yeah, they're red cover to cover by everyone in town because they are so local. It's kind of like the local gossip. Yeah, that's boring for the Portland Press Herald and, and the Bangor Daily News, unless it's juicy. And then they'll be down there and... Right. <laughs> controversy. Yes. Yes. That sells. If it bleeds, it leads. Right. And that's the, so the only thing that leads in the local newspapers are those awesome municipal stories. Why the Booth Bay Register always shows up at Edgecombe planning board meetings is beyond me, but I love that they're there. I love that they're asking questions. And then they even ask the folks that have engaged in the process. They'll add, you know, if they're coming with a planning application for a new restaurant or business in town. The newspaper's also writing about that, and that's certainly not going to happen. And I enjoy those smaller newspapers as well. I pull the news links for the organization, and, you know, between the Fiddlehead Focus and the Daily Bulldog and the ones that you had mentioned, those are great papers. They are, and they're writing about, you know, things that are important, and I think because they cover such small areas, they're able to make everyone feel like there's a story in there that's personal to them, too. Absolutely. There's a lot of human interest stuff uh, in there as well. But I love how they cover local government. It's sad because a lot of those areas are actually coastal areas where there's a lot of money, but there's also a lot of transient residents who then pay for that subscription because they want to know what's happening in town. And they want to know like who's visiting, who's come back for the summer season. And who's in town and who's graduating and That's what great. job they're doing. That's, you know, really inconsequential for normal media readership, but extremely important for, I think, the communities that they serve, but hard Absolutely. to replicate without that support and that funding. So they're really going towards the market. They're not really going towards the stories, the larger groups. I remember back in the day when the state used to have to publish their notices in newspapers, and then there was a bill to make it so they didn't. They could publish it online. But uh, when municipalities tried to fight to get the same treatment, um, they were shut down. Yeah, that's we had to fight a long time to get to where we could publish in the weeklies and not just the major papers. It, it, that was so ironic to me that they're talking about the loss of municipal notice as being the death of democracy while they're actually doing statewide policy implementation at the legislature 
and there's no public notice, but there's electronic ways of of actually engaging with that process via an elect, you know, the website. The website is where all the information is. And that's how anybody who doesn't have the ability to drive to Augusta is even going to participate in that process. I mean, that was one of the gifts of COVID, if they were gifts that COVID oh. gave us, was, <laughs> you know more people participating in public meetings online. Yeah. And more people participating in municipal government because they're not having to leave their dinner in order to be able to find out what's going on in the budget committee and being able to leave, you know, give input. It's just, it was just such an ironic conversation. We'll see how that goes. Although I don't know when, no, there will be a public uh, work session on that bill next week. I think that's on Thursday, is it not? Thursday? Which ironically won't be in the paper, but I guess we can look online. Yes, at one thirty. What stood out to you in the bulletin this week? I was under the impression you were going to preview uh, the public hearing for LD673, an act to direct the Maine Criminal Justice Academy to develop non-residential law enforcement training program. I assumed you were going to put a blurb about that upcoming public hearing in this week's bulletin, but maybe next week's? I think we'll do it next week because I think it was Kate's um, about the property tax freeze, LD290 kind of focus to the property tax stabilization. A number of the bills have been printed. MMA's platform bill hasn't been printed on that. Sadly, it's not printed yet, but at least they're going to wait until all the bills are printed on that topic to hold a work session so that they can... There was a conversation in the taxation committee that she picked up on yeah. that they stated they would wait. I think that would be great because, you know, there are probably elements in each of those proposed bills that could be incorporated into a final bill. But it's pretty clear that the state is not going to be able to sustain that generous tax break to all folks simply by age, regardless of their fiscal capacity but there's a there is a desire to make that something of a of future for those folks that are on very fixed incomes and proportional to uh, the value of their property versus the needs in that community right. shifting it, shifting it, it on to everyone else it should be need based for sure i mean someone who owns a waterfront property worth millions you know on the coast shouldn't get that tax freeze just because they can and the idea that you could build onto your house and not have that assessment change, or you could buy a more expensive house in an adjacent community and still only pay your frozen tax rate for your smaller house in the community you're leaving. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, I'm glad again that they're going to wait for the work session so that they can have a fix with the best public policy in place without having to tweak it every year. Yeah, and the burden that it's placing on assessors to figure out that that residency piece and the, the other qualification piece, the qualification piece. Yeah. yeah, changes to that need to happen. And there's a lot of questions that they keep getting hit with as well. So they're now an information source. It's not a normal part of their job to be kind of the navigator for that kind of stuff. I'm sure they're inundated. I know, I know. And in some places, they are not full time. You know, they're occasional employees and shared between multiple communities. So now they're going to be ha- having to process those those applications for multiple different communities with multiple different needs and measures. I'm glad that Kate is managing that wheelhouse. 
No doubt. We do have a bunch of upcoming public hearings on the mother legislation next week um, in criminal justice, actually. I think one that probably is felt really acutely in a lot of communities lately is LD 405. And that's an act to prevent false reporting leading to an evacuation shutdown or lockdown. False public alarm is right now is misdemeanor. And uh, the cost that communities have had to shoulder for what are swatting events, these folks often in other states, often in other countries, or at least bouncing through surfers in other countries, are sending false alarms through encrypted emails saying that there are bombs in schools or there's going to be a gunman coming into the school. And until that threat has been fully vetted, you have to treat them all like they are legit. So they're pulling out resources like the TAC team and bomb squad in communities because that's not something that most police agencies have. Or even in rural communities where they don't have any police force except for county or, or state response, you know, for a school to evaluate that threat and have some sort of system in place beforehand, that's just they just don't have those resources. So they have to call that law enforcement agency and they have to respond and treat it as though it's legitimate until they can determine that it's not. Absolutely. If they didn't treat it as legitimate and there was an actual active shooter. Yeah, which we all unfortunately are acutely aware happens, even if it's not proportional to the numbers of times, you know, the numbers of of real risks that are happening within schools. But it pulls resources. So a lot of the things that I didn't think about that are the need to try to abate this in future because they're multiple events is the town or the school district to have to add to that security infrastructure for the school. So that they can help verify whether or not anyone's been on that premises in between the periods of school closing and and opening. But also the drain on the EMS and fire resources, because those folks are going often, their vehicles are used to block because they're large or block some places. And, you know, they have to go there in case there is a legitimate threat to be on hand. But sometimes the act of evacuating those kids creates its own medical crisis with a lot of anxiety and you're pushing them out into the cold in the middle of a main winter until you can evaluate that that process. Having them outside in a large area makes them soft targets for other types of threats. That's also kind of scary. So you've got two different scenes that police need to manage to one to verify that everything is safe inside, but the other is to protect everyone who's now wide open and congregated in an area. Meanwhile, what happens if there's a public safety emergency or a, a health emergency and all those resources are tied up? Exactly. Exactly. They're not low impact criminal behavior. It's not low impact criminal behavior as like the current statute kind of treats it. So they're adding an, an aggravating factor to that charge that would make it a felony so that if you were caught doing that, or if they could track it down and and identify who is doing that, then that person would be charged in proportion to the public response and harm that communities have to shoulder when they respond to those events. And then also to try to to mitigate that response, to install a bunch of other security features that would make it very clear that uh, no one had been entered a building or had been on the premises in between. Those are resources that are better spent on education. And absolutely. And sometimes it's just a kid who wants a, a day off. 
Sometimes it is, although there are, are uh, there's actually a entity, a group of individuals who think this this is a game and and do so to see how big of a response they can get. And then they, you know, have their own little point scoring tally sheet to brag about that. It's like one big video game. Exactly. <laughs> a video game with real people. There's a bunch of bills I got printed this week. Does anything jump out to you? The thing I wanted to talk about in the bulletin was one of the hearings of the week that was highlighted today was uh, one of the MMA platform bills, LD88. And that would be an act to provide qualifying municipalities a percentage of adult use cannabis sales and excise tax revenues. I think Maine is the only state who does not have that, uh, who does, who uh, made adult use legal. So it would be nice if the host municipality would get a little bit of money back to help mitigate some of the costs of the extra public safety and legal costs and you know, they have to adopt ordinances and get all the language correct. And well, that would be good. If we could be just like the other states and get a little bit of money back. Yeah, there are a lot of communities weighted into that at the request of their local residents uh, well before there was any sort of reimbursement for that activity uh, to try to fill in that cost that municipalities have been shouldering to develop the regulatory, the local regulatory mechanisms, decide zones where it's appropriate to have that. So it's not next to schools or those types of activities, places that have made sense. And it costs them in upwards of 50000 plus for that work. And then you have other communities, according to the department, that have not applied, that have most recently done, that have not applied for the full 30000 that they're entitled to. And those are largely communities that have a lot of volunteer labor, volunteer planning boards, volunteer ordinance review committees, and those not and not full-time staff. So those are not a factor in there, but that's also the hidden cost on those municipalities as well. So it's kind of deflated for the use of that volunteer labor. But the rolling, the continual enforcement of that is, it's it's a heavy burden for code enforcement officers who are few and far between. I hope they do. I hope they do do something about it. It's why Becky can't be with us today because she's in VLA on a bunch of cannabis bills, right? Yeah. Speaking of doo-doo, you said doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say doo-doo? Yes. I'm tired and I'm a child today. I love it. I love it. I love it. So as for bills that have been printed this week, I did notice that a lot fewer of them were concept drafts than have been in the past, which was nice to actually get language on them before the public hearing. Yeah, that is such a pain for our members as well to try to figure out the impact on their communities with no language. And also, I think is talk about a death of democracy, less the newspaper publishing of local news or local notice, I think is way less of an impact than holding a public hearing for a bill that has no language so that none of the impacted parties are present and then no other public hearing. With the on that actual language, that seems deeply undemocratic. Where are the big papers crying about that, huh? I don't know. I would say they're not. I mean, you have done this forever, and you know that all of the titles for legislation 
rarely meet or rarely uh, connect entirely to what the bill does. They're often aspirational. Sometimes they're entirely deflectional as well. I mean, one of the titles for one of the proposed bills that's a concept draft is, I think, something like an act to change main law. Yes, I saw that one. Yes. The I'm concept. Gonna, I'm going to write up some testimony on that one. <laughs> this act will change main law. <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, can you specify at least a title? What title in law did you want to change? I think there is a cheeky podcast in there if we could go through and, and poke fun of that. It was the same thing with uh, cannabis laws. I think that Becky and I had looked at before. There's like an, an act to amend Maine's cannabis laws or cannabis statute. Yeah, the medical one. I saw that. It's like, okay, <laughs> what are you, you going to do? <laughs> Meanwhile, all the medical uh, marijuana or cannabis folks are like on edge waiting to find out what the languages behind it and how the rules are going to change for them. <laughs> and meanwhile, municipalities can't, you know, even know anything. We can't even know who the medical providers are. So you have a license, you have a state license, but it has to be confidential. I don't know how that works in the medical field. Like I can find out everyone who is state licensed and a doctor or a nurse. Why that is somehow confidential is, is odd, but evidently the bill for to amend those laws is also confidential. Uh, the other, you know, state and local also ironically had a another bill that Becky covered uh, that was LD 577, which was an act to increase the availability of election information on local government websites. And um, during that, it was basically discussed again, that there are a hundred and some odd municipalities that don't have a website, a town website. So the Secretary of State is going to or is asking for additional staff uh, to assist municipalities with setting up a website and also get all of their election information published and create a portal that they can report some of that information directly, like for registered voters, et cetera, to the Secretary of State's information, or at least they can access that election information and enter it directly into the database themselves. Municipalities can't be relieved of printing notices in these distant major publications because their folks don't necessarily have a website. Towns don't necessarily have a website to publish on them, or folks don't have access to the internet in the same committee room, they're having discussions around creating websites for those towns that don't have them and using electronic portals to share election information more widely and centrally. Talking on both sides of the mouth, huh? It's very odd. It was a very odd day. Sometimes it's an alternate reality <laughs> over there. Well, it's Employee Appreciation Day, according to our director. Just saw that email come in. I didn't actually read it yet. but So on St. Patrick's Day, we're going to have a pizza lunch. That's a Friday. So pizza on St. Patty's Day. Pizza patties. <laughs> Do you have a little pin that says, kiss me, I'm Irish? <laughs> uh, other clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Uh, why am I not surprised? There we are, then. 
<laughs> Laura, thank you so much for sitting in with me today and pinch hitting for Becky. This is fun, and you should really join us each time. She's a lot better at this than I am with I the know. interplay. Um, Friday mornings are... <laughs> I know. They're... You know, yeah. um, but I think you're wrong on that because there's a lot of editing that happens. Okay. So there's not an, you know, banter is one thing. Recording banter is one thing. But and well, you do a really good job with that. Well, you are too kind. And on that horrendously personal note, I'm going to sign us off uh, this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Potholes in Politics. Disregard the St. Patty's Day stuff. And um, we'll see you next time. Don't forget to like us on your favorite podcast streaming service and subscribe. And we will see you very soon. Take care.